right, welcome back to Mon Men. I am Yanata Blue here once again with Michael Darling, as always. And this week we're joined by Kev Kozer. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. We have punched his card. He's now eight years away from free sub. Yeah, who is the who's the current record holder for uh, SNL appearances as a uh, guest host? Do you know off the top of your head? I know well, Alec guess, Baldwin is up there. That's the thing. Like as guest host, I'm not sure, but like you know, Baldwin and Steve Martin and a few others keep popping up just anytime someone joins the five timer club. So yeah, I mean, like Baldwin with the Trump impression is probably like skyrocketed. Well, so those are just appearances. I'm like yeah, so in terms I'm of sure official way. hosting gigs, yeah. I think yeah. Alec Baldwin still holds maybe up there in terms of the record. But yep, so Kev, welcome back. Um, for those that may not remember you from the dark ages of the podcast, as I like to call them, um, please introduce yourself and give us a quick primer on your uh, history with Pokemon. You mean March? Yeah. Yeah, dark ages of March. I mean, it was less light than... I guess it's the same amount of light, because it's the first day of fall when we're recording this. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've played Pokemon pretty much my whole life, most of my life. Wow. Uh, I've... I know I had Pokemon Blue for a regular Game Boy Color, but I specifically remember getting really into Pokemon Gold. I think I talked about this in the last time I was on, but like on a plane trip uh, to or from Disney World at like two in the morning uh, in like the year when it first came out, like 2000s-ish. And I've been pretty consistent with the series. Well, actually, I used to be consistent with the series. Fell off around... Uh, Gen 6, I did not play the Omega Ruby game, hmm. and only recently, recently got back in the Pokemon Sun, after like a couple years off. Hmm. I was kind of inspired by this podcast. It was like, oh man, I do love Pokemon. Uh, we've ruined another one. Uh, but now I'm really hyped for Sword and Shield. Well, speaking of coming and going from a particular game, you've also previously played Mon Mom with us. Would you like to come back to that? Oh yeah, I lost last time, and I really <laughs> want to revenge... All right, well, so for those listeners, Kev is obviously familiar with the game, but we start off every episode with a game of Mon Mom, which is I will send my mom a picture of one of the Pokemon we're discussing on this particular episode. Today we'll be discussing Porygon, Ammonite, Amastar, Kabuto, Kabutops, and Aerodactyl. Uh, so my mom has seen a picture of one of these Pokemon. She is going to describe it, and she is going to give it a name. And Michael Darling and Kevin will compete to see who can guess which one she's talking about. What's the scoreboard, Baloo? The scoreboard currently sits at a clinched for at least a tie 10 to 7 in Michael Darling's favor. We have three more episodes left for this generation, so Michael Darling has officially locked in the tie for this generation. For the listener, Michael Darling is showboating a lot. He just took a victory lap around the room. Um, so, Michael... How would you like to uh, give our co-hosts the edge, potentially, and at least earning a tie for their seat? Yeah. Okay, I'm interested. I'm interested. What you got? So, typically every week we let Michael Darling guess first, but I'm proposing that for the remainder of the series in Gen 1, we allow the guest host to guess first, and, Michael Darling, you are locked out from picking the same Pokemon that our guest picks. Oh, yeah! Nice Do you agree to these terms? Sure. Ooh, <laughs> that's a that's confidence. A, that's a bold agreement there. All right, so here comes the Mon Mon. Gentlemen, are you ready? Yeah. yeah. All right. This Pokemon looks like a Moonlight Crab. I will name it Hardy Boy. Okay. So wait, so a Moonlight Crab. Named Hardy Boy. Oh, I thought she said Party Boy. Which... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin, do you have a guess for who that Party Hardy Boy is? 
Now, crab, aquatic creature, so I think that rules out Aerodactyl and Porygon. And yeah, I think the most crab-like, I mean, um, Ammonite and Amistar are more mollusky, and Kabutops is who knows what. So I think that narrows it down to Kabuto for me. Okay. Well, since Kabuto's been locked out, I'm going to say it's Kabutops. Well, the lockout did work this time. It is now 10 to 8. The guest hosts have a fighting chance to lock up a tie. We'll see how that goes. A lot of pressure on that one. (laughs) Well done, sir. Yeah. So, before we launch into this week's Pokemon, we do actually have some breaking Mon news. Mr. Darling, over in the newsroom. Thank you, Mr. Blue. Duck with stick on a motherfucking evolution, bitches! Duck with stick! (laughs) I've I've been calling him Duck with Stick internally, too, because of this podcast. (laughs) It's great. Farfetch, as it's properly known, has now been given an evolution in Sword and Shield. Interestingly, it seems to be Sword exclusive. Uh, It evolves into Surfetch, which imagine, if you will, our beloved Duck with Stick, but beefier, hunkier even, with a giant leek uh, lance Mm -hmm. and a wooden shield. And it's all fighting type, which is insane. Yeah, I love that the shield is like folded over grass or like fern leaves or something like that. And the fact that this boy is just basically like a little bit more of a swan-like countenance. Are there other swan Pokemon, darling, that we might see? Oh, yeah, there's a swan, I think it is, in Gen 5 or 6. Yeah, it's like an ugly duckling riff. Yeah. Ooh. It goes from being, you know, a duck to a swan. Well... I'm excited about this news. I've been super stoked about it and just eating up every bit of fan art about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will post my favorite in the show notes. But first of all, I would like to just announce it is Sir Duck with Stick to you, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's was bigger duck with bigger stick. Actually, I think the duck itself might be the exact same size, which is hilarious. Oh, yeah, same size, but just a giant sword, a sword twice its size <laughs> and a shield exactly its size. Yeah, I, um, Michael Darling and I did have an exchange about which versions of Pokemon Sword and Shield we're considering ordering. So I've already pre-ordered my copy of Sword, which is where Sir Duck with Stick will be. Um, so I promised Michael Darling, because he's getting the alternate version, that I would trade him, that I will catch seven of them. <laughs> one to trade to him and the other six to make up my Pokemon <laughs> team. <laughs> uh, all right, so all uh, just one more thing I wanted to point out. Uh, this is shown to me on Twitter, and I wish I could remember the source. But apparently the sword and shield are both parts of the same grown ripe leek. Like the bottom oh, of yeah. it is like the bush of it. And then the sword is like the stalk. Huh. I hadn't thought about that. Well, that's going to be another obvious Mon Appetit when we get there in four years. But yeah. in the meantime. Here's the thing. I think Sir Duck with Stick could beat you up if you tried to eat him. Ooh. You try yeah. getting close enough to him to cook him when he's got a giant leek. This is true. Yeah. He'd run you through with that leek. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think it's interesting about me, pure fighting type. Like, not even flying anymore. Yeah. You know, we're talking a lot about Sir Duck with Stick, and that's partly because of the excitement. But the other side of it is, is that I hate most of the Pokemon we're going to discuss today. <laughs> um, and, of course, I have my issues with designs and stuff like that. But let's start with one that I have lore issue with, Mr. Darling. Cyber Duck, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought about him that way, but yes. Oregon. It's a normal type, and you first encounter it. Oh, God, this one. You first encounter it at the Rocket Game Corner in Celadon City, and you have to win either 
in red version, 9,999 coins from the fucking slot machine. Or, in blue, you get a slight discount. It's only 6,500 coins from those slot machines. Those janky-ass, rigged, the game experience tells you they're rigged slot machines. That's the only way you can get this guy. Yeah. In red and blue. I mean, I already complained about Magikarp being, like, hiding Gyarados behind an obnoxious grinding to level up Magikarp to level 20, but this by far takes the cake yeah. because it's just completely dumb RNG. Yeah, at least when you're grinding Magikarp, you're playing the game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I never got a Porygon. I don't think... I don't know anyone who would actually get a Porygon, and I don't know why we'd want one. It's There's nothing special about it. Yeah. Yeah, let's start. Let's start there with the uh, list of grievances, the Porygon <laughs> list of grievances. I know Festivus isn't for another three months, but let's start in on this. Hey, we got Sir Dump with Stick. It's a Festivus miracle. <laughs> <laughs> the typing being normal is just so weird to me that you have this Pokemon that the lore states is literally programming code brought to life, and it's just normal. It's not even electric. It's not psychic. It's nothing except for just a normal type, which doesn't make any sense to me. See, I like that actually for one small reason, namely that I like the idea that it's a digital creature that, uh, since it is their first attempt by scientists to create a completely digital artificial Pokemon, of course it would just be like your normal type. And it does get a move conversion that allows it to switch types, uh, but it all depends on, you know, there are various factors at play because conversion as a move has changed so often throughout the generations. First time around, it would just change it to the opposing Pokemon's type, but then later it became based on moves that the opposing Pokemon has. So you could turn Porygon into an electric type if you're facing an electric type hmm. Pokemon. You know, but only for that battle. Digital creature is kind of a mouthful. Maybe we could create a portmanteau to shorten it, like a creatures, like a Digimon, mm. perhaps. Never heard of it. Um, yeah, a lot of people haven't, but so in case you didn't know, uh, shout out to Abby Denton, who I know will appreciate this. Uh, this is straight up just a Digimon. Like, I, yeah. it literally is. It literally is a digitally created monster mm -hmm. that they just pulled out into the real world, which actually happened in Digimon. So this isn't a strong argument for, like, the case that Pokemon isn't ripping off Digimon. I feel like this might actually be the Pokemon people throwing shade at Digimon and just saying, look at this, we're going to straight up rip your idea for one of ours, and we're going to get away with it and be bigger than you. <laughs> I mean, I kind of appreciate the creativity of code brought to life. Like, what is a Pokemon? Like, getting really philosophical with this idea. Pokemon can be anything in the first generation, but it's also dumb because if there's no rules, then what are the rules, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we know Pokemon already can turn into basically you know, energy when they're sent into a Pokeball or when they evolve, they start glowing and they transform. Uh, so it's not completely lore-breaking that people were able to turn energy into a Pokemon. It's still weird, mm -hmm. but it is. I don't think it breaks the lore in a way where it's like, you know, you're questioning the existence of Arceus here. Yeah, I mean, I personally, for my feelings of this in terms of like, the fact that the Pokemon that I really like are playing with this idea of zoology mm -hmm. and these creatures as functioning in an equivalently balanced ecosystem like what we have on our actual planet, even if they do have like crazy abilities that are completely <laughs> unrealistic, you know, to say that digital coding somehow like sprayed out into the world is a living creature, even though it doesn't eat or breathe, the lore does note that, but it just, it feels 
even more so than than I complained about Magnemite breaking the lore about what the hell qualifies as a living creature in well, this Magnemite's world. Magnemite's an actual living thing in that world. Yeah, Porygon's like Dolly the sheep of that world. Yeah, I mean, it's a man-made Pokemon, as the Pokédex says. It's just created. It doesn't breathe. It doesn't eat. <laughs> These are all canon facts. <laughs> and uh, I just I just came across something looking at this Bulbapedia page that was particularly disturbing. Uh, since it doesn't breathe, people are eager to try it in any environment. So it's like the canary in the coal mine <laughs> of just, like, crazy stuff. Well, I love the story of Porygon is kind of... Uh, had its own little thing in the Pokedex entries, because I think later on there's a mention of people are trying to send it into space to see what happens, and then by, I think, Sun and Moon, it's like, people want to send this into space. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and especially by Sun and Moon, we have some evolutions that are added to this line that we'll discuss in greater depth when yeah. we get there, but... Well, I'd like to bring them up uh, right now, if I may, just yeah. briefly, because I think it's the one interesting thing about Porygon that mm -hmm. didn't lead to hospitaliz hospitalization. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I like that the evolutions have kind of reflected the real-world evolution of 3D graphics. Because mm -hmm. the original Porygon is this kind of blocky, angular, N64-looking thing. Uh, then Porygon 2 is rounder. And then, finally, Porygon Z is kind of more streamlined and fluid and not entirely attached to itself. It's like iPhone upgrades. Yeah. All right. So what is Porygon best known for, though? Kev, I'm looking at you. Yeah, I'm going to add this to the notes, so I guess I get to tee it up. Um, <laughs> basically, there's an episode of the anime, one of the few banned episodes of the anime, and this one was banned for good reason, not for James inflating boobs or guns being pointed at kids, but because it legitimately causes That's physical Kev, harm to people. Kevin's taking a pro-aiming guns at kids stance here. I mean, I think it's fun for cartoons. <laughs> I mean, Looney Tunes I mean, has proved anything. Republicans are pro-aiming guns at kids. But yeah. hey, we're not a political podcast. <laughs> oh, wait, we are. Fuck Trump. <laughs> but yeah, this episode is justifiably banned for causing physical harm to people. Uh, basically, this aired in Japan, caused a number of seizures across the country. I believe you have the exact stat, Michael. Well, uh, over 700 people had seizures or other maladies. Yeah, and this happened, I guess not because of Porygon, but, okay, from what I understand of the episode, and granted, I didn't, I forgot to really look this up before coming in, but from what I remember- have seen this episode. From what I remember being a big nerd who trolls Wikipedia a lot, <laughs> uh, this is an episode where the gang, the Pokemon gang we all know and love, travel into a computer to fix a computer virus with the help of their friend Porygon. Team Rocket fires missiles at the gang, and Pikachu blows them up, and there's a big red and blue flashing explosion that caused strobe effect seizures and lots of poor children. So yeah, so Pikachu did the actual damage, but Porygon gets all the blame because... Pikachu's a bitch! All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm no denying that. I think the unfortunate side effect of this, though, is that Porygon 2 and Porygon Z have never been featured in the anime. because. Yeah. And Porygon's never been seen again because they are all paying for Pikachu's crimes. Yeah, I think the line maybe has appeared in the background, but they've never had an episode unlike most other Pokemon. So, are we ready to move from the digital age into the prehistoric age? From yeah. this guy? Yeah. All right. Well, I know you guys are super excited about this batch of Pokemon. Here <laughs> we are. Uh, Mr. Darling, if you could start us off with the first little tentacly boy. Oh, this good little boy is Omanyte. Uh, it is a rock-slash-water type, and you first encounter it, very interestingly, you have to select the Helix Fossil at Mount Moon, and then you revive it at the Pokemon Lab on Cinnabar Island. 
It's weird to me and interesting that, like, even in Gen 1, we have such an interesting dual type. I mean, I speculated last episode about are there dark psychic types? Because, you know, types that are generally so diametrically opposed being combined into a dual type always feel interesting to mm -hmm. me, even if they aren't necessarily useful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, rock water, though, you're still four times weak against grass now. Exactly. Yeah. Because in almost every kind of opposing triad, there is that third on mm. leg of it like so dark psychic and i think ghost that then benefits doubly from that or something like that i think and dark actually beats up ghost oh yeah that's right yeah. here's what blows my mind out the rock water combination as a kid is that electric is strong against it yeah because every other rock type in gen one is rock ground uh and that's a big point in the anime oh brock is the rock type gym pikachu can't hurt him <laughs> because they're rock ground but it's ground that's immune to electric so as a kid playing pokemon stadium where you can just have access to all the pokemon it can mm. do whatever combination you want you can use a porygon you can use a porygon mm -hmm. finally <laughs> but also like using electric attack on a fossil pokemon like what why is this doing damage they're rock type <laughs> it's doing double damage <laughs> but because rock isn't affected by electric so it's really strange that a the energy is very hardline stance of rock being the one immune to electricity but then B, throwing these rock water types that electricity is actually yeah. good against. Well, and then cutting ahead a little, Aerodactyl is rock flying. Yeah. So also, Electric's good against that. Like, it's very odd that the fossils are the only five Pokemon in Gen 1 that are rock type that aren't part ground as well. Yeah, and we're going to get to some interesting typing that I wholly disagree with coming up. But for this guy, I totally understand it. He'd rock water type just... And this is probably the one in the group or the two in the group today that I'm actually a huge fan of. Um, I think he's a really cute little tentacly boy. Yeah. He looks mm -hmm. like if Lovecraft's stories were being adapted to like a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> um, just 100% what they're going for here and they achieve it and they make it very cuddly and cute. Um, but I fully expect to see like hundreds of these swarming around the feet of an elder being um, or an old one that just got summoned from the depths. Oh, it was an adorable gif from the anime of a trainer just putting their hand out and uh, an Oma knight just kind of rubbing its two tentacles or two front tentacles on the hand in an adorable way. I mean, that just gives me the idea for, like, an episode of Pokemon where just, I mean, in the first episode of Pokemon, Ash saw that one legendary bird that we never saw again. It was like that flying golden bird. Well, I think it's an early Ho-Oh. Like, it's an early... Uh, yeah, early design. design. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they ever revisited that and confirmed it was the... Oh, I don't think they ever actually said that. I think they were just, like... And Ash, like, eventually would, like, meet a hoe and, like, oh, what's this? I don't yeah. know. Well, that's because Ash is dumb. Yeah, I feel like that's got to be the final episode of Pokemon if they ever get to designate a final episode for Ash, but... I mean, he's won the a League, finally, and they keep hey, going. Man, that's it's some great. other Mon news we should have covered. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Ash is finally a League winner, and it's official. Deck takes precedent overall. This is true. But I do want to see a Lovecraftian take on Ash where... He sees a where he where oh, he yeah. sees a gathering of like all these omanite gathering around an elder Pokemon, like one of the old ones, and it drives him insane. And he just ends up quitting Pokemon training and just like in the psych ward of a Pokemon center. Are you suggesting that he perhaps winds up worshiping the Helix fossil? Yes. Mm, He's there like we scrawling go. depictions of it all around <laughs> his like padded cell. Hearing with voices his telling him to turn left, turn right. 
go up, go down. So I put in the notes, let Kev talk about Twitch Plays Pokemon for two hours. Here we go. Now you Scrap in, folks. Listeners are in luck. I parked in a two-hour parking spot, and we started 20 minutes after that. So I swear I'm going to let you get on this minutes. run, but I have a celebrity feud I need to start really quickly. Oh, okay. Quickly That's, right. Get everything out of the way before we get on this, because I'm not going exactly. to have to play with the I'm, one, I'm 100% getting out of your way, but I do want to say that this, uh, in terms of the design that I love so, so much, this is a... Uh, it takes a lot of the same uh, strategies that I mentioned Paris takes, which is taking a bunch of elements that don't look like they should work together and producing a very cute, very attractive little Pokemon that I love. And it just reminds me of Oscar Isaacs. This Pokemon is the Oscar Isaacs, Paris is the Anne Hathaway, and I think the two of them should just be in a movie together. I'm gonna need an explanation as to why. I don't know how to tell you except it's just a feeling i get sometimes you just know it's like being in love michael <laughs> i'm glad you had an interjection i almost said annihilation is that movie but then i remember i was thinking natalie portman not Anne. <laughs> <laughs> i mean a lot of similarities dark black hair doesn't get enough respect all right natalie portman's going to be the next next celebrity to get a pokemon <laughs> But Kev, tell us about Twitch Plays Pokemon. All right, Twitch Plays Pokemon is the greatest uh, experimental art project God. of the 2010s. It's one of the closest times we ever read human peace, world peace. It's one of the few times I can say I was there, man, about anything in human history. Uh, it's the Guinness World Record for the most collaborative interactive multiplayer game with have the stat pulled up 1,165,140 players Praise playing Helix. through yeah, Praise Helix for all of those people playing through Pokemon Red one input at a time. So I think we brought this up before on the podcast when appropriate and also when inappropriate. But Twitch Plays Pokemon was a wonderful experiment online when a guy put a copy of Pokemon Red on Twitch and he set it up so that the viewers could uh, control the game basically by entering into the chat uh, A, B, start, select. So basically the four buttons on your Game Boy plus up, down, left, right, the four directions on your Game Boy. And so it started as a small thing, but then word of mouth blew up. And yeah, there were millions of people who were sending in their moves, which hilariously meant that it was nearly impossible to play this game correctly. Because you, know, you may press up in the hopes that that would mean the trainer would walk up, but you know, 20 moves have happened before you're up, and by that point, he's facing the wall, and he is consulting the Helix Fossil. So this actually is a great way to tie into when the game became really popular, is with The Ledge around oh day God, four. Were you there for The Ledge? Because I came in later. I think I read about The Ledge, but I didn't see it yeah. happen live. But apparently around day four, there was this ledge around Cerulean City. Blue has already checked out. <laughs> There's this ledge around Cerulean City like, where it's like one of those one-way jumping ledges. You can go down it, but you can't go up it. Yeah. I normally, can already see where it's going. Don't normally, worry. if you're playing, this should be no issue. You just you go down once, realize you did something stupid, and you walk around, and you just go straight. However, when there are a million people trying to control you, it's a lot harder. Yeah. So basically, anytime any asshole put down in the chat, you have to start from the <laughs> beginning. And this... Sisyphean task attracted a lot more people, and that's when the game became really popular. Hmm. But they conquered the ledge, and that's the important thing. And that's when I think the really watershed moment for Twitch Plays Pokemon was everyone was talking about posting it on lots of different websites, getting written up in articles. 
oh my god, they conquered the ledge. People, <laughs> humanity can work together to bring something beautiful, yeah. walking in a straight line <laughs> for a certain amount of time. And so the thing that really made it amazing was that people were creating mythology around this in real time, mm-hmm. trying to explain you know, the meta-narrative of this ridiculous version of Pokemon Red that is being played by the internet. Uh, and one of the key parts of the mythos was that in the games, I'm sorry to all of our listeners who don't really care about Pokemon. This is going to be a Pokemon game heavy episode. In the games... Our listeners who don't care about Pokemon that willfully chose to listen to a Pokemon podcast. Yeah, just Meg, <laughs> my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, so... Shout out to Meg. In, Shout out to Meg. Thank you, boys. So, in Pokemon Red and Blue, in Mount Moon, you get a choice of taking a Helix fossil or a Dome fossil. They don't really matter much in the long run. They turn into these prehistoric Pokemon we're covering this week. But if you go into your inventory and go to the Helix Fossil and select it before you get to the point where it's actually useful, a message will just pop up from Professor Oak, the Pokemon professor, saying, Ash, or sorry, this isn't the time to use this. Problem is, with the crazy system in place which plays Pokemon, somehow the Helix Fossil got selected a lot. So we kept seeing this message about this isn't the time to use it. So it became an in-joke in the mythology that, well, the trainer is consulting the Helix Fossil. So the real point of this game wasn't just to win the league, but to get the Helix Fossil to Cinnabar Island so that they could bring back their god, Omas Knight and Omastar. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm going to get a little bit into some personal D&D lore for my current campaign, which is that one of my players found one of my fellow players found a belt uh, early on in our campaign, which, you know, we found in a precogs hut, and now every time you meet somebody, any NPC, his character automatically asks, do you know what this belt is? <laughs> <laughs> and so the DM nerfed the belt because I guess he's decided to scrap that thread for the campaign, but he's still asking about the belt because his character doesn't know the belt was nerfed. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I mean, and that's... that's the good energy we have here very much creative inspired energy and very collective storytelling yeah. which i am such like a geek for yeah people were making a narrative out of the chaos like i think there are several great moments but kev i'll let you start with your favorites we'll okay talk about the ledge okay yeah uh we're talking about the ledge i think my favorite moment though was one i was witness to so the next big watershed moment twitch plays pokemon was uh sylphco because of all the Conveyor oh, belts and I've heard about this. In, so in this one area of the game, you have to get through this little puzzle where there are you know, uh, steps that you'll take that will send you in a certain direction, kind of a like, conveyor belt type directional pad thing. And normally you can solve this puzzle pretty easily once you figure it out, but if there's a million people playing, it makes it really hard to successfully hit them in the right order or else you'll get sent back to the start. And this is going to tie into a Pokemon we're covering a few segments from now. Uh, but they instituted a system called Order and Anarchy. Oh, so, yeah, because they got... Yeah, because uh, that's the only way they can solve the puzzle. Democracy and Anarchy. Sorry, yes. They, got, they were there for at least a day. Yeah, and the only way they can solve the puzzle is if they change to a system where people voted on the button input rather than every button input is valid. And so... And you could vote on the system, too. So, like, if enough people, like, typed in... Uh, democracy, then democracy become the system, and you could get 100 votes for a button input. So it would be like every 10 seconds there would be a vote. Yeah. Uh, problem is, 
all of the people who were enjoying just the total chaos did not care for this. So there was what was dubbed the Start 9 revolution, which is people would enter Start 9 in the chat, which meant the equivalent of pressing the start button nine times. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> if that got the most votes, you're just 10 <laughs> seconds wasted. But yeah, and then also in the mythology, uh, the Helix Fossil, the good Helix Fossil became the representation of good, wholesome anarchy that got us the god Helix, whereas democracy is the wicked dome fossil exerting its influence. Yes. But sometimes you must use the wicked dome fossil's influence in order to complete hard parts of the game, like the conveyor belt or the safari zone. Yeah. So this reminds me of another collective study in humanity on the internet. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but there was a glitch that happened in the world of Warcraft years ago that people were allowed to actually kill other players in combat-free zones, such as huh. towns and stuff hmm. like that, because of a glitch in a boss battle. Um, and what happened was it basically was not just a virus in terms of like the infection and the coding, but it functioned like a literal virus where you could spread it and make people vulnerable and cause all kinds of havoc and people trying to play the game very innocently. Hmm. And when World of Warcraft, like the admins tried to wipe the server to reset people on it, people found safe havens like in boss rooms and stuff like that where they could hide and then come back out to continue the infection. <laughs> and I kid you not, it apparently became a case study for the NSA and, yes. like, and the CDC in contagions and terrorism. I love these kinds of stories. This is wow. my bread and butter. And, like, and this is yeah, it's insane why I love Twitch like Pokemon. These sort of like digital space, like mo it's almost modern art. It is modern art. What am yeah. I saying? It is modern art the way these things sort of happen like this. And, and like, art imitates life. Yeah, sociological factors all involved. And I'm going to... Uh, hold back a little bit on using my film major theater minor on you guys. But no, yeah, it's... don't hold back. That's why you're here. You're oh my god, as a subject so, matter expert. Which <laughs> Pokemon is like the squat theater of its time? The the shit. I'm not, I'm too. Uh, thanks to, to the beers, my god, I'm a little too drunk to remember the exact name. Pig Child Fire, which was like a play put on like a storefront in New York, where it was like a live goat and like hanging mannequins and stuff. I wish I could remember what the great. Joanne Klein taught me at my college, a great theater professor I took modern theater class with. But basically it was... What was like the play? Pig Child Fire, I believe, is the correct order of those words. Uh -huh. uh, squat theater, I remember for sure. And it's just like, you had to be there. Like, they didn't do it more than once. You had to be there for this crazy thing they put on a storefront. Hmm. And, yeah, I mean, just like... And that's Twitch Size Pokemon. You had to be there. And that's why this is probably... I may, hopefully this is intriguing viewers not boring them because they weren't there but I think it was a little sad there's no real preservation for this sort of thing like I was there and it was so great and I'm sure someone archived parts of it on YouTube that's true yeah. it's archived on YouTube probably yeah. and I'm sure well, there's a good summary of it that we yeah. can find I'll oh, yeah. put it in well, the show notes well but like there's okay summaries I was looking at my own research the best resources are an incomplete wikia and <laughs> the know your meme page yeah interesting well and yeah. What is hilarious, though, about that particular incident uh, with the uh, directional pads was that once you do that, you then have to... You're then about to face this big boss villain, uh, the Giovanni. head of Team Rocket, Giovanni. Uh, and so first you have to walk up to him, talk to him, beat him in battle, and then afterwards he will give you an item. And so he doesn't just give you the item. You have to pick up the item that he drops next to his sprite on the overworld map. All of that should be easy, right? Well, <laughs> instead, they got to Giovanni, and 
Okay, yeah, Kev wants to handle this, this one. This is to answer a question from uh, 30 minutes ago, my favorite moment that I was able to see. <laughs> they get to Giovanni, uh, they beat him, he drops the self-scope, but you need well, to progress in the didn't game. Didn't they, first they got to him, and then... The oh, they first, first oh, yeah, yeah. it happened twice? Yes. I think I saw it the first time. <laughs> okay, All right, so. so they had a Ratata that knew Dig. Its name was Dig Rat, because it would off do some well, chaotic nature of the game. Its real name was probably something like... A dash 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 whatever because that's how they could name Pokemon in this chaotic system, <laughs> but uh, it, it was called Digrat because it kept it new dig and it kept <laughs> digging them out of every situation. Dig, which is normally a move that is used to get yourself out of caves or something like that, so mm -hmm. it's perfect for getting out of a dungeon like this. Yeah. You wouldn't normally use it in this circumstance, though. Because you're about to fight the boss, and you're about to collect the item the boss drops. But both times, once before fighting Giovanni, and then once at Giovanni, but just before they could grab the, right before they could grab the key item, uh, Digrat was actually selected from the menu and used Dig and got them back to the beginning. Yes. <laughs> and the best part about that was I was watching it when they had beat Giovanni. They were trying to get the self-scope item. And so I'm watching it as the trainer starts walking around the room. And I'm just like, okay, you can do this. Just pick it up. You got this. And then I see Dig get selected. And I went, nope, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> oh, man. My so, favorite meme to come out of Twitch Race Pokemon is a mask of, like, the Always Sunny scene of wild card bitches yes. with, with the Raditz's face over Charlie's. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> because, and that's Dig Rat. <laughs> so, Kev, I'm actually going to revoke your film nerd cred here. <gasps> mm -hmm. Because it has been a half hour. We have been discussing fossil resurrected Pokemon for over 15 minutes. Oh, we'll get to that. And you have not brought up Jurassic Park. We had more important things to talk about. Oh, we yeah. had to talk about the Helix fossil. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, yeah. Okay. So, all right, all right. So I... that's the majesty that was Twitch Plays Pokemon. Okay. It was a game that everyone was familiar with, just played completely the wrong way in the best of ways. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and summation thoughts. Uh, this is, is a great experiment. Humanity more experiments like this. Uh, please look up the lore as much as you can sort of gather and understand <laughs> from uh, wikias and know your memes and things like that because it is a great thing to do a deep dive on. Mm. But I I could keep going on for hours, literally. But We might have to do a side episode where it's just you and me talking Twitch Plus Pokemon. Maybe, yeah. We'll make it a bonus on the mm. Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> there we you go. have a Patreon now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it when other podcasts say that. It sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think... Uh, Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, I'm just trying to get that in between some dialogue so I can okay. cut it out later. So, the funny thing is, I think Omanite and Omastar were not major Pokemon of note until this happened, and suddenly they were elevated to meme literal god in the meme status. So, yeah. It's very weird because it took about. See, this was 2013, I think, that Twitch Plays Pokemon happened? I was a senior in college, so yeah. Yeah, 2013, 14, one of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it took about 15 years or more for this Pokemon to get big. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, Jurassic Park. That is a good pull, because this is very much what Jurassic Park did, but done right. Uh, gotta say, more of a Raiders guy, but Jurassic Park's still a <laughs> quality well, 10 out of 10. Well, no, so I my disappointment with this is actually the fact that, like, in all the games that we've seen, they haven't really leveraged it except for, like, a one-time, here's a choice that you have to choose between these fossils and which Pokemon to resurrect. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about the fossils. Is, like, they've always, when they've introduced new fossils, 
uh, have given that option of like you have to choose one or the other, whether it be a version exclusive or specifically here are two fossils, you only get one. Yeah, but unlike Jurassic Park, this isn't like the, you know, fanciful dream realization of some eccentric billionaire pouring his life's fortune into making this park. This is something that a 12-year-old is apparently able to do. <laughs> Literally, you just, as a 12-year-old, wander into a lab with this fossil that you choose and just say, hey, would you mind turning this into a Pokemon for me? And the scientists are like, sure. And they do that, and they don't care about the Pokemon enough to say, hey, we just resurrected this creature that's been dead for a million years. We need to keep it here for study. They say, here, you go ahead and take it and use it to fight. <laughs> well, they've done probably a hundred of those already I know, that day. Yeah, well, it's so casual. Yeah, well, what's it's hilarious fun. is, like, in every game through the first six generations, that was done at, like, a research lab or a museum or a science business. Then Gen 7 in the Alola games... <laughs> It's just done in the trailer of some guy who wants to build basically Jurassic Park. And it's the funniest thing. Like, they're just acknowledging, yeah, it's not special anymore. There are so many of them, and it's so easy to get them. God, you know what that reminded me of? Have you guys ever listened to that uh, limited series podcast, S-Town, that was done by one of the people from This American Life? Oh, I know. Um, I've never listened to it. It's yeah. a great miniseries. I strongly recommend it to anybody. Completely unrelated to Pokemon, in case you're wondering. But it's a great <laughs> character profile study of this guy... Uh, from Alabama, I forget the exact town. It's been a while since I've listened to it, but he was kind of like a small town genius in terms of like clock making and clock mm -hmm. and like old school clock repair. Um, but then also like he knew the process to just casually uh, gold plate metal alloys, <laughs> which is casually like it's the kind of thing that's like so dangerous that most professional metallurgists don't do it because it has a high propensity for causing mad hatters syndrome mm. in you. Um, but this guy would just do it casually in his backyard because he was that <laughs> smart that he figured out how to do it um so it just kind of reminded me of that like i wonder if it isn't the same thing in the pokemon universe that crazy guy who's resurrecting fossils in his trailer mm -hmm. crazy old mores yeah. <laughs> so, but strong recommendation for after you subscribe and rate our podcast, please listen to S Town <laughs> and then come back to ours. Yeah. I'm just, this whole conversation, I'm thinking technology is so fucked in the Pokemon universe. Yeah. Like, the, Bill invents teleportation, and the first time he tries it, he gets fused with the Pokemon Cronenberg style. <laughs> the second to millionth time it's used, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, they have teleportation and Pokeballs and all this weird, amazing stuff. But, you know, they're, like, still using, like, payphones. <laughs> it's yeah. insane. I mean, and especially to take the fossil resurrection thing to a really creepy level, there's a uh, comic done by Julia Lepetit on Dorkly, um, where it's talking about the fact that, like, you know, you, they do a perspective of, like, the trainer character encountering a scientist who says, hey, I can resurrect a Pokemon if you bring me a fossil. And he says, wait, we can resurrect things that are dead. Oh. And he goes mm -hmm. to a graveyard and digs up his father. Oh. <laughs> because, hey. Oh, man. Oh, wow. So it just kind of raises all these terrifying questions. Like, yeah, the Pokemon world in terms of the lore and the things they're presenting, if you're casually going to a guy in a trailer to resurrect something that's been dead for a million years, um, yeah, we're digital coding that's been... I didn't even touch on this when we brought up Porygon, but like the digital coding, being able to bring coding to life in the physical world. Yeah. There are some crazy things under the rule 34 on the internet uh, that are going no. to be brought into real life. I mean, 
in real life, think about the fact that we can grow meat in labs, we can grow diamonds in labs, we can't make wood. Yeah, DeviantArt becomes more of a uh, buffet rather than just a carousel of viewing galleries. Oh, no. <laughs> There's right. a mon appetit for you. Yeah. All right, so let's go to something more terrifying within a reasonable way of the lore. Darling, let's move on to the uh, evolution for the first little tentacle oh, boy Omastar, we were talking about. Omastar. Omastar looks like Omanite, but more so. Yeah, and this is one of the rare cases I approve of fairly lazy strokes in a design change. It does not look that different from Omanite, but I think it makes just the right brush strokes of difference mm. that it looks... It has just a few extra tentacles in just the right way. And it has, like, these much more terrifying, like, cat eyes mm. and mandibles. Like, pronounced mandibles rather than, like, the little eldritch tentacle mustache. And spikes on the shell. Mm. Yeah. And spikes on the shell. The spikes just feel very 90s as far as a feature. Kind of like the pouches on superheroes back then. Yeah, the spikes are the one design point that's just, like, a little too much. Yeah, but the beak is so cool. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. And I just think they're such subtle but perfect changes to take Ammonite from being cuddly to, like, oh, now it's a terrifying denizen of the deep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you said, it's like a lazy evolution design, but it's, like, good still. It's, like, I think this is sort of almost the idea of what evolution, like, the baseline for what evolution should do. Just more and, like, accentuate the charm points, make it look a little more badass, and that's all you baseline need to do. Yeah. You can do more creative stuff, but that's all you baseline need to do. But there's a funny note in the lore about what evolution did to this creature, Michael. Uh, not evolution, but extinction, actually. Uh, so, in Red and Blue's Pokedex, and for the Pokedexes, we get probably the only entry in the games that's ready to tell you how one of these fossil Pokemon died out. Uh, so, Red and Blue says, A prehistoric Pokemon that died out when its heavy shell made it impossible to catch prey. So, we don't have a whole lot else to say about this Pokemon except for... Praise Helix! So, let's move on to the other fossil guy, the Hardy Boy. <laughs> the villain of democracy. Uh, <laughs> a villain that represents democracy, I should say. <laughs> God, what a statement. All right, Kabuto. A Justin Trudeau. Yeah! Ooh, there hey. we go, timely! Oh, God. Uh, Kabuto is a rock and water type. Uh, yes, I seem to be repeating myself. You first encounter it by uh, selecting the, the dome fossil at Mount Moon and then taking it to the Pokemon lab at Cinnabar Island to revive it. Yeah, so this being another rock water type, I mean, I understand that they just, they kind of wanted to lead you down a path where it was a pretty diametric choice. Like, you had both of the same types, basically, for rock water, rock yeah. water. But... I wonder why they couldn't go with, like, Rock Bug. Yeah, it is what? interesting, because future choices would be, like, Rock Bug versus Rock... Um, what's right? Yeah, Rock uh, Grass, or mm. Rock... Um, I want to say there's one that's just pure rock. I think there's, like, a Rock Flying one later mm. on. Uh, rock... Like, I think Gen 6 has Rock Dragon or Rock Ice. Ooh, like, Rock Dragon. Yeah. But, yeah, I, um... You know, and then the other thing about it is I know that Kabutops has, which we'll get to in a second, has, like, a little bit more, like, it has more of the horseshoe crab feeling. Um, Kabuto, of all things, it reminds me of, have you guys ever seen a water bug? Or the uh, water bear, sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this thing is crazy. Like, it's the most durable the living creature. Yes, yeah. that's mm. the proper side. Only thing that has survived every mass extinction. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it can survive in the vacuum of space. And I'm like a Porygon could? I mean, Porygon doesn't count because it's not technically a living creature. Yeah, it doesn't need true. to eat or breathe. Yeah. Worth noting something I just found from Surfing Bulbapedia right now, because I am so prepared. Uh, <laughs> Kabuto also says in his Pokemon Dex entries, it, some of them have survived into the modern age. So there are Kabutos that are running around naturally. In yes. theory, you could catch a wild one. In theory, like you could catch a Charmander or a Bulbasaur naturally. I mean, yeah. much like the Ple- it's like the Pleosaur with the Loch Ness monster. Like, it's the one that survived somehow by yeah. being in the right lake. Are we just outing ourselves now as a pro Loch Ness Monster podcast? Now? <laughs> it's real, guys. <laughs> China apparently has its own. I don't know if you saw this video. I'll link to it in the show well, notes. Uh, there are a bunch of lake monsters to the point where Wikipedia has an article, which is a list of lake monsters, uh, including locally, by locally mean eight hours north, uh, Tahoe Tassie in Lake Tahoe. Mm. Oh yeah, but this video went up just a week ago. Oh, I saw okay. this like made the news. This um, is a new lake monster. Yeah, on China's equivalent of YouTube because they blocked the internet, but it made it to our YouTube. Um, I'll link in the show notes, but there is a sea serpent of indistinguishable features huh. like seen riding the tides away from a fishing boat. Now how related is this to the Blink-182 guy releasing uh, videos of UFOs? Who, which were verified by the Navy as legitimate videos that he should not have shared. <laughs> um, I'd say that they're pretty good tinder on that fire is all I have to say. See, that's the thing. Like, on the one hand, I was certain, like, if aliens were real, we'd know because Crump would blur it out at some point. Yeah. He'd just casually mention, yeah, I was talking to the aliens yesterday. <laughs> and we'd be like, what? I mean... But... Nothing happened from the Area 51 raid, but... Hey, two people got arrested. One because he was peeing on the fence. <laughs> um, the legend, though, that's been immortalized in memes for the past, what, week is the... Or even four days. God, that's how long time feels. Is uh, the dude who Naruto ran yes. through a news broadcast. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the legend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people said it was a disappointing turnout. I'm impressed that more than 100 people showed up to this thing. Oh, first. yeah. Based on a meme Facebook event... I mean, that, like, hit its peak a month before it actually was supposed to happen. Oh, my I God. I do wonder how many people there were actually just reporters reporting on the event. Because I think Wire That's had true. a good coverage of it, which was saying a lot of the people here are just YouTubers filming themselves being here. I was about to say, and half of the, the other half were Vice reporters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were ten Vice reporters, each on a different drug. <laughs> All of them trying to be Hunter yeah. S. Thompson without saying it. I mean, Vice has done some... There's been some legitimately good articles from Vice and also just completely ridiculous stuff. Like, they did a video series where it's going to events high, like Monster Truck Rally or a dog show or something, which, like, this is stupid, but I feel charmed by it. They camp with Waypoint, so pops the Vice. Yeah, yeah. Vice is your stoner friend who does nothing but talk about the Grateful Dead, but does have a an MFA in classical music <laughs> theory. <laughs> Very accurate. <laughs> the look on Michael Darling's face yeah. as I finished that one was just perfect. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, God, yeah. Area 51, right? So, so to get us back to Kabuto, this, looking at this design... If we Kabuto run, we could avoid <laughs> This Kabuto, Kabuto felt to me like a first draft design for Paris. Like they were trying to design like a So what America's bug. sweetheart is this one? Uh, Mila Kunis. She's the first draft of Anna. <laughs> oh, Mila Kunis deserves better as well. <laughs> She's the first Since draft of Anna. Since you're putting me on the spot. 
And Anne Hathaway is a great person to be Here's a first draft to. Here's oh, yeah. You had no hesitation on that. You knew the minute I asked the question. You guys are putting me on the spot and chalking these up as if they're no, insults. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean I'm sorry. all of these as compliments. I should specify, Mila Kunis deserves better from society. She really does. She had a fucking Oscar-worthy performance in turn in Black Swan. Yeah. Yeah. And she brought a lot of nuance to her role in that super cheesy sitcom, That 70s Show. I'm a big Mila Kunis fan. This is not an insult. There are no feuds here. Anne, Oscar, Mila, you all know I'm on your side. <laughs> She's the only one who came out of Ted with, like, dignity. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot she was in that. Oh my I mean, god. She's on Family Guy, so. I mean, I mainly sense. remember Mark Wahlberg and just get angry about him having a career. So. Oh, God. But yeah, Mila Kunis as Meg on Family Guy is one of the most brilliant bits of like voice actor stunt casting. It's like, let's have her play somebody that is completely opposite her type, and she does it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also a, fang- a magnificent star of Jupiter Ascending, modern American classic. Oh, my God. <laughs> and now I have styled myself into referencing a Wachowski film every time I come on here. Yay. Thoughts on The Matrix 4? Uh, very excited for Lana Wachowski to keep getting work. <laughs> I'm mostly for Lana Wachowski to, like, I, I thought the Wachowski were out for the count. Like, their studio folded, no one watched Jupiter Ascending, Sense8 was canceled before its time. I thought they were done, but now Warner Brothers is giving Lana Wachowski, uh, unfortunately just Lana, but I think Lily wants to do her own thing, which, okay. And the Cottons are doing that right now, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ethan, you know, Joel is doing something with his wife. He's doing something with his, he and Denzel and also Francis McDormand are fucking making Macbeth. Yeah, and and Ethan is, I'm sure, having a nice fulfilled life of his own. <laughs> oh, he's got a play that's playing at the okay. music center right now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And um, fun, fun story for my mom, mom. Uh, she was at the music center along with my dad uh, just this past weekend when this play, a play as a poem by Ethan Cohen, was premiering. I think. So Tom, uh, mom with Tom Pear. Yes. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, so she ran into Francis McDormand in the mm. bathroom because I guess Francis was there to support her brother-in-law. Ah. All right, to pull us out Inception style out of this tangent, mm-hmm. uh, I'll let Joel Cohen... Inception Cone... partially filmed at the Music Center. All right. Really? Yeah, all of the like limbo stuff, oh. that is the ah, laws at the Music Center. Nice. So yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, I'll let Joel Cohen is a wife guy who is like, <laughs> I want my wife to play Lady Macbeth and she's <laughs> she going to get it, guy. damn it. <laughs> And then I love that Lana Wachowski is getting a, a nine-figure budget to do whatever she wants for a Matrix reboot, and Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss are back on board. Hopefully Lawrence Fishburne to follow. Very excited. Less for the reboot itself and more for just great people getting great like exposure back into the world and hopefully people realizing, oh, the Wachowskis are geniuses. We should make give them more money again. So wait, so Larry Fish is in for this? Not in yet, but oh, okay. I have to imagine. I mean, what has the man said no to <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we have to make this a regular segment now because I think this makes three episodes that we've brought up the Matrix Four in a row. I think just the last one, but I could be wrong. Oh no, we brought up the Face Off remake. Yeah, another episode. That's so. Let's move on to the evolved form of this guy. Mm. Um, I, the, I mentioned in slight passing that Kabuto felt like a lazy first draft of Paris that they eventually replaced with a much cuter version. Well, I like that it's got that horseshoe crab and also trilobite elements. But I always just picture this being joined by like 99 other Kabutos and just scaring away from me. 
Yeah, they always had that kind of swarm feel, kind of like you'd get Zerg rushed by them if you encountered them in the wild. I see a picture and I can hear it crawling. <laughs> With the size... Oh, I thought oh, well, Kabuto. Kabuto. Yeah. yeah, Kabuto, yeah. So then it evolves, and it gets arms. <sighs> yeah. And Scyther-like scythes for yeah. weapons. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so this one I outright hate because it literally <laughs> just feels like... A, I'm going to say this outright. It just feels like a reskin of Scyther. Hmm. Um, the other part of it is is that it's also one of the weirdly uh, drastic jumps from the pre-evolved forms. We've had this before on previous episodes where we've talked about some Pokemon that have super drastic design changes in terms of their evolutionary changes. Um, the big one I remember is the original episode is Charmeleon to Charizard. Like the height difference, the wings suddenly sprouting out. Um, this one, on the other hand, goes from just being like a little helmet boy that's like a foot long to suddenly being a four foot tall Scyther clone. Um, a cool thing that I think they missed out on in the lore is that they could have said that Kabutops, the resurrected Kabutops, the fossil that we resurrect, is the prehistoric ancestor to Scyther. Yeah. Like, what if mm. Kabutops eventually yeah. evolved well, into Scyther that we know in this day? And in age? several Pokedex entries, it does say uh, that it's in the process of evolving. Uh, I'll get back to that word in a moment from a water-dwelling creature to a land-dwelling creature when it went extinct. So we've got kind of this weird middle form where it's still of the water but turning into a land creature. Uh, and I want to point out that they use the actual word evolution in these Pokedex entries, and they're using it not in the Pokemon sense, but in the real-world sense. The Darwinian of, sense. Yeah, yeah, the Darwin sense of it was a fish, and it grew legs, and it started walking, and it then got upright and all that. So I would say that evolution in the Pokemon gameplay functional sense means kind of like a pupil larval state, like yeah. into... Metamorphosis. Into a metamorphal state. But we also have a Pokemon fam two Pokemon families that we've already covered in past episodes that do have actual, like, metamorphal states mm. and cocoon states yeah. as we know it. So this is just really weird. <laughs> like it completely defies our under any understanding not just in terms of the terminology and semantics but it incorporates science that we recognize and have validated with stuff that we don't and mixing and matching the terms as convenient yeah like porygon i respect the creativity right even in the first gen of like what would a pokemon look like if it like evolved to adapt to going from water to land mm. i mean that is a creative idea but just from like a pure design standpoint, it's weird. It's weird looking. It, yeah. does, it bears like almost no connection to the Kabuto before it. Yeah, like all it's got is the trilobite horseshoe crab element, plus a little bit of the Eurypterid, which was a prehistoric creature that hunted in rivers with its big claws and mm -hmm. is believed to be an ancestor of the modern horseshoe crab. Mm -hmm. And by modern, I mean horseshoe crabs are fucking ancient. Yeah, I mean, I still just have to harp on the fact that, you know, from a design perspective, mm. it's unforgivably lazy to basically do a reskin in the first 150. Yeah. Later on, if this Pokemon were number 750, I'd be like, oh yeah, that looks kind of like a Scyther. They, maybe it's a callback yeah, to a different a interpretation mm -hmm. of its... But for that to be literally 10 Pokemon in the Pokedex <laughs> later is just like, come on, guys. Did you really want to hit that nice round number of 150 or 151? <laughs> like... You know, you could have just made Mew 2 150 and Mew 150 instead or whatever. Like, why did you need to fill it out so, try so hard to fill it out? Yeah, I'm going to give you a choice. Kabutops or Seal? Oh, um... You can sub in Dugon for Seal, but yeah. 
I mean, I'm going to go with the Seal Dugong line over Kabutops, like, really? because at least they're an interesting typing. The ice typing, at least in the evolution form, makes it more interesting and diversifies the type distributions a little bit more. Kabutops is another rock water type. It doesn't even have that forgivability. Like, Amistar is a rock water type. Hmm. So why do we need Kabutops? What does it bring to the table in any kind of interesting addition except for the alternate choice? Yeah. Like, it does not offer anything interesting design-wise, typing-wise, gameplay-wise. It's just another notch in the belt, so to mm. speak. Um, mm. So that's why I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah, um, the only parting thought I have is this delightful uh, image from a Pokedex entry. In the water, it tucks in its limbs to become more compact, and then wiggles its shell to swim fast. <laughs> I so, always love the use of the word wiggle. Wiggle, wiggle yeah. Especially with something terrifying like this. Yeah, it's the design is very clearly intended to be terrifying badass, and tucked in its arms, wiggle, 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 to swim fast. <laughs> I will say that one of the best ads I've ever seen that that just reminded me of was for TBS Advertising Family Guy. It was literally just them looping LMFAOs, wiggle, 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 over like different scenes from Family Guy for 20 seconds. Never wanted to watch Family Guy more than that. That is perfect advertising. This is more Family Guy than we've ever mentioned on the pod before. And hopefully the most. Yeah. But... I, in honor of Alex Borenstein's Emmy win, apparently. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't catch the Emmys last night. So as of time of recording, the Emmys aired last night. Yeah, I mean, there's so much TV now. Who can keep track of it all? <laughs> I haven't watched Miss Maisel. I'm sure it's really? great. Oh, it's fun. Oh, I'm Ooh. sure it's it like, is. It's one of the few things worth watching on Amazon. Okay, but right now I'm halfway through Stranger Things. I'm a few episodes <laughs> in the Dark Crystal. You could skip Stranger Things after... Oh, yeah. but season three is my favorite season yet. Wow. Oh my god, Steve is so funny in it. It's true. Season three is a marked improvement over season two. And Winona Ryder... <laughs> but Winona Ryder is allowed to be really weird in it. David Harbour is so funny. All the kids are up to fun shenanigans. I, I love season three of Stranger Things. I, mean, I, I was not a big fan of season two. I mean, consider that I... Winona Ryder has been on my, like, top five celebrity crushes my entire life ever since I saw Beetlejuice as a young boy and has not lost that position. <laughs> but I do not watch Stranger Things because that show is unforgivably painful to watch. Um, uh, well, in my opinion, sorry. No, I mean, it's but, fair. It's but fair. I just couldn't get it. You know the Duffer Brothers that listen to this podcast, so that's why you had to apologize. Every now and then, there's like, Stranger Things on paper should be my show. Mm. I should be 100% behind that show. And yet, same thing, like, I think the other shows that I remember that being with were, like, Lost was mm. another show that everybody swore. Like, and on paper, I should be a huge mm. fan of Lost. Interesting. Not, not, those two are kind of, like, my big examples. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I guess you're not a fan of the eight-hour movie format, which, to be fair, I'm not either, usually. But I think the strength of season three of Stranger Things is that they got more episodic, more actual something is accomplished at the end of each episode. Yeah. Yeah, it became more TV rather than broken up movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the thing that I liked about season three was that it was both that, where it was eight-hour movie, but clearly a goal was achieved in every episode. Yeah, I'm like season I do two. like that, right? yeah, where it was just an eight-hour movie with everyone coming and going. I enjoyed that all the plot lines were separated until, mm -hmm. like, they started out pretty much on the same note, and then they divide into their own little adventures to come back in the end. Yeah. Anyways, I'm it's watching... It's very Tiny Toons, oh. How I Spent My Summer Vacation. Oh my god, I love that episode. It's a great <laughs> format. Great, perfect reference. God, that was one of the best episodes of that series. Anyways, um, Stranger Things, Dark Crystal, I'm halfway through Undone. Please watch Undone. It is incredible. Oh yeah. Um, 
and got uh i'm watching farscape episodes with a mutual friend on twitter two a week i am watching going through one piece with a mutual friend on twitter four to five a week and uh airverse is about to come back in full force and i have to commit to all five of those shows because it is my trash that i love because crisis is gonna be insane crisis of an infinite earth is gonna rule we have three supermen so many supermen are coming back for it oh man i mean Dark Crystal, I started on that. I'm still working my way through it because I got distracted by a couple other things that came up. But um, I would say also previous uh, friend of the show, past co-host Alex Cresswick recommended this. I can validate this finally. Doom Patrol is amazing. I'm, um, I need to get to Doom Patrol. Everybody I mean, should be watching that. DC, whatever that app is. For or, that. or HBO Max, which hopefully a roommate gets that oh, yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or... Uh, Torrance! <laughs> Shout out to Torrance. Shout out to Torrance. Yeah, I, I think it was a good Emmys aside from, you know, one big award, but, yeah. I'll say this and... for the storytelling in Marvelous Miss Maisel, and this is, I'm not the only person this happened to, is that I started on Miss Maisel right before season three came out. This is Maisel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, I think about it because she's divorced, so I automatically assume oh, yeah, she's exactly. But anyway, uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel... Um, I started in on it right before season three premiered, unknowingly started watching from season two onward. Hmm, wait, no, that's impossible. Season three hasn't even dropped yet. Okay, whatever it is, but like... <laughs> you fucked up is what you're saying. The point being, I started watching from season two, like the start of season two, unknowingly, mm-hmm. um, because Amazon's UI is terrible. Oh God, yeah. Um, but... It was still an extremely satisfying show because the characters are so well introduced mm-hmm. and just everything is happening. Like, in terms of, like, what we were saying about Stranger Things being an eight-hour movie versus true episodic format, each episode stands alone so well that you can jump in in season two and not be lost in terms of the immediate episodic drama. But I, like, the characters were referencing things that I didn't realize had happened in a prior season because I thought I was watching the start of the show, and I was just <laughs> like, oh, great, what a cool concept to start on, like, <laughs> this woman's, like, pursuit of a stand-up career that, like, following her divorce and all that. I didn't realize that, oh, if I'd started in season one, episode one, I got to see the divorce happen in real time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's TV. That's the power of yeah. TV, to be able to drop yeah. in anywhere. You can drop in on, like several episodes of Twin Peaks and still think this is a masterpiece without context and maybe more confusing. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah. Not that twi- watching it in real time would help either. No, uh, yeah. yeah. Or, or like, uh, my favorite one, the shout-out, if you've never seen Bojack Horseman, just watch season four, episode two. Uh, great half hour. Oh. The one with, yeah. uh, he goes back to his yes, childhood home. Child. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the summer His home. parents' childhood home, I'm serious. Well, the summer home, I think. Summer home, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, and, um, then, and then to round out the recommendations, I recently wrote a piece on this on my website, uh, optionalirony.com, community. It's one of my favorite shows of all yes. time. Mm. Um, I talked specifically about the original Dungeons & Dragons episode and how I've had multiple people watch that episode. It's a, se- it's a mid-season two episode but it so seamlessly introduces you to all the characters, seamlessly, without feeling exposition-heavy, introduces you to background, you get a sense of the dynamics right off the bat, and you get a great episode that really is just seven people sitting around a yeah, table. It's mm-hmm. mostly a bottle episode, which is yeah. very impressive. Without yeah. feeling like a bottle episode, because everybody's choosing to be there, 
um, mm -hmm. without being constrained there by invisible circumstances or... Though I will say, the bottle of the community that constrains them by invisible circumstances <laughs> also a masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great deconstruction of a bottle episode, and that's mm -hmm. also on the list. But, like, I mainly wrote about it. I link to AV Club's recommendation of 10 of the best episodes mm. of Community. The Dungeons & Dragons episode is one of them. Um, so please check out my website, check out that article, and then take a look at the AV Club's website and watch those 10 episodes. And to, again, Inception Style, pull us out of the layers. Uh, shout out to Fleabag for winning three Emmys. I love Fleabag. Yes. That's a great show. Another great episodic show as well. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the thing that I like about Mrs. Maisel is that it's coming from TV veterans who know how to write an episode mm -hmm. rather than, I've got eight hours of concept and I now have to cut into eight different hours. Uh, yeah. I've got a movie idea that's basically like two deer hunters, but instead I'm going to have it end abruptly every 45 minutes and call it a TV series. <laughs> two deer hunters. <laughs> two deer, two hunters. <laughs> two, two, two. Fuck you. <laughs> so Aerodactyl is a rock and flying type, and you first encounter it, say it with me now, you get the old amber and you revive it, it at the Pokemon, Pokemon Lab on Cinnabar Island. Island, Jurassic Park. <laughs> Thank you. Right, so yeah, Aerodactyl. I think it's delightful. It's a pterodactyl, basically. Yeah, this with guy's a beer cool. belly. Yeah. I like him. He feels like the kind of Pokemon Homer Simpson would have. Yeah. <laughs> I intentionally didn't put that in the notes so I'd be able to land that joke with you two. Which <laughs> is a pterodactyl. <laughs> like Pinchy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And fascinatingly, this is, I think, one of our last mega evolutions of the generation, I think. Uh, besides. There'll Mewtwo. be a Mega Mewtwo. Yeah, besides Mewtwo. One yeah. of the last. Yeah. Uh, so it's got a Mega Evolution, which just gives it a lot more rocks all over its body, like stalactites and stalagmites, basically. And it's ridiculous. It's super spiky. Yeah, which I have to wonder how that affects its uh, aerodynamicacy. But aside from that, I just think this is a great take on a pterodactyl. I mean, I kind of like the fact that they went some different angles with, like, the pronounced snout and, like, the extra schnoz. Um, and I appreciate that all the spikes are rocks in the Mega Evolution. It's got, like, a rock goatee, doesn't it? I can't remember that specific... Uh... Um, uh, Mega Evolution? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's a really cool cartoony take on a pterodactyl, yeah. so I'm a really, I'm a really big fan. It's another case of, like, 90s extremification, just like I pointed out with Omastar. Albeit in, like, 2013 or so. Yeah. I mean, but it's just, you know, it's just so many spikes. Yeah. Let's just throw spikes on it. It has spike. It reminds me of Spawn. Do you remember the Todd McFarlane comic oh, book yeah. series? Oh, yeah. Um, where there was an original design for Spawn when he premiered for the first 30 or so issues. I was a big fan of this. I, I'm a big fan of Todd McFarlane's art in general. Um, but... Then Todd McFarlane decided, no, I can take this to another extreme. This is my fucking comic book publishing company. And he redesigned Spawn to be even spikier. <laughs> with an inexplicable boot, for some reason. <laughs> 90s comics. The weird thing to me is, like, didn't Todd McFarlane streamline Spider-Man's suit so that he didn't have to draw so many interconnecting lines? And then he's like, I'm going to make my superhero incredibly spiky. Yeah, it was really interesting. It was really weird. Like, and with extreme. The other weird thing about Todd McFarlane is that he likes having, like, long rope like things flailing around. So, like, his spider. His iconic Spider Man thing is the fact that, like, his Spider Man would always have an excess of webbing just 
winding around ten times over all mm. over the... Uh, that's how you can spot a Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is like, did Spider-Man spray out an extra 50 feet of webbing that he didn't need? And Spawn is the same thing, except it would be like 50-some-odd feet of chains everywhere. And like a cape that was 80 feet long. Yeah. Which the Spawn movie from way back in the day captured in one shot, but then otherwise did not CGI his cape because I guess it was too fucking expensive. Because it was the 90s and they only had so much CGI budget. They only had so much CGI in the world. Yeah. I mean, if Toy pe- Story yeah. was only 90 minutes because otherwise the computers would explode. Thank you for stealing my tweet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The, <laughs> the sp- original Spawn movie, not nearly as bad as my memory, like treated it it was actually much better especially for like a comic book movie of its time and it's aged fairly well huh. all things considered mm-hmm. all right put spawn right next to street fighter in terms of like oh wow maybe this is actually good no but spawn actually holds up like street fighter we street ha- fighter oh excuse me <laughs> we watched we watched that and street fighter maintains terribleness i had to be extremely high to talk myself into for just 12 hours i was able to convince wow. myself that street fighter might actually be good and then i came down and i was totally fine street fighter has some really good stuff it also has some incredibly stupid stuff yeah. and some incredibly good stupid stuff I mean, back on the grounds, any movie that makes me belly laugh three times, it contains, like, one of those badass lines in cinema from Raul Julia giving his one of his best performances. While dying. While dying. I mean, I am just have to love. See, when you said badass lines, I thought you were referring to Jean-Claude Van Damme slapping his bicep. <laughs> no! And say, come get this! <laughs> I'm referring to, but for me it was Tuesday, yes. which is such a good comeback. It's just devastating. Uh, oh, I God. mean, they kind of ate that line with uh, Thanos in Endgame. Yeah, it's a great line, too. It is just a rip-off. It's it was, but I mean, they did it the, really well. That is Scarlet true. Which did the whole, like, you took everything from me. I like Thanos' take on the line is more just he's annoyed that he's <laughs> dealing with this. He's just, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> what is that? Like, it's not trying to be badass. It's more just, like, he's the grumpy dad, like, I don't know what your problem is. Like, he's already <laughs> been dealing with I'm uppity daughters. Years ago in the past. Yeah, at that point in the movie, he'd been dealing with <laughs> uppity daughters across the board. <laughs> And now he finds out, oh, wait, I've got another girl that's on my shit (laughs) while I'm trying to deal with the universe? All right. (laughs) Like this canonical recasting of Thanos as just a very confused time traveler who just wants to rule the universe and doesn't understand why everyone's so bitter at him. (laughs) Oh, I succeeded. Why do they hate me? (laughs) Anyways, I'm biting my tongue to talk about WandaVision because this episode has gone so long already, but, oh, man, I'm so So excited about WandaVision. Catherine Hahn. Ah, Catherine Hahn! That's the best MCU movie, the press release of Catherine Hahn being in WandaVision. (laughs) So one other interesting thing about Aerodactyl, because I feel like, other than saying it's cool, we don't really have much to say. Uh, But from the Ruby and Sapphire Pokedex, it straight up says, Aerodactyl is a Pokemon from the age of the dinosaurs. Meaning, dinosaurs existed on this earth, and also Pokemon predate humans. Pokemon lived alongside dinosaurs. Probably setting dinosaurs on fire by accident. So I don't understand what the age of dinosaurs is because the Earth is only 5,000 years old and we were all created and dinosaurs were buried by Satan to confuse us. Mm. Anyway, um, what you note about the shiny, we haven't mentioned any of the other shinies so far today, but let's uh, rewind and go over the shinies. Yeah, let's do a shiny and bring it Porygon. Porygon actually has a pretty cool one because whereas normal Porygon is a dark red with light blue, this is more a dark blue with light red. So the blue bit, sorry, the red bits are blue, the blue bits are red. Um, 
almost the omenite line kind of boring because the blue body just gets purple and then the kabuto line is actually fun i like this one it's got this unsettling green color hmm. a kind of a pea green but not quite and finally aerodactyl is just purple which is interesting because how is that it's the dugong it's like the dugong and seal shiny being cream colored this mm -hmm. is another one that doesn't have a drastic shift in its shiny does it well i mean mm -hmm. it's i know that in pokemon go when i've caught one or rather when i've hatched one i always have to double look for a moment just like is that oh no it's not but it's you know it's more noticeably purple rather than this gray with touches of purple that it currently is so this is always an interesting question for me in terms of the RNG of these kinds of Pokemon. So we've touched on this before that you can get a shiny Mewtwo if you're willing to potentially save the game right before you fight Mewtwo and then mm -hmm. just reload yep. it. Because once yeah. the game loads up that Mewtwo for the encounter where you can catch it, you can potentially load up a shiny Mewtwo. It's a 1 in 3,500 chance. Something like that. Something Game Freak has been doing either this gen or starting last gen was distributing shiny legendaries just to save people the heartache. Well, I think some of the legendaries say shiny locked, in fact. So, like, you can't get a shiny... Um, I can't think of anyone specific at this moment, but some shiny legendaries are not possible to get on the game itself. You can only get it through events. Yeah. Huh. I mean, granted, events are like booting up your game and doing the mystery gift on a certain between a certain window. So yeah, you don't have yeah. to go to a mall on a set day with every other child in the neighborhood. Anymore. I mean, obviously anymore. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and obviously you couldn't get a shiny Aerodactyl in the first generation of the game where it was one of the choices for the fossils. But well, uh, no Aerodactyl, you could always get two fossils because you could get the old amber from some guy in Peter's City, oh, yeah, yeah. and then you got mm -hmm. your choice of Dome or Helix fossil. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you could always get Aerodactyl, and I think you can actually get Aerodactyl in a trade in gold and silver, I'll have to check that, uh, but there were no fossils in gold and silver, but I think you could get Aerodactyl just as a trade, which is interesting because, like, yeah. and so I wonder if like have Aerodactyls lying around. Yeah, so I wonder if, and that's again reflective of how casual fossil resurrection is this person has a priceless million year extinct resurrected creature that they're just willing to trade you for like a ditto <laughs> yeah. um uh speaking of ditto i was just thinking um about how shinies if you wanted a shiny fossil i guess you'd have to breed one with a ditto in order to get it like if you if your yeah. almost didn't revive into a shiny you'd have to keep breeding and breeding if you really want a shiny almanite yeah that's true but um and now I'm thinking, oh, Jurassic Park and the Pokemon World would just be like these fossils kept in cages and someone accidentally threw us a ditto in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's all you need. You just need to bring one back and then you just have like a poor ditto that's, you know, its life is just snoo snoo. Yeah. yeah. So, Ideas. In gold, silver, and oh. crystal, you trade a Chansey at Route 14 for a Aerodactyl. Okay. What an upgrade of a trade. You're yeah. trading one of the worst Pokemon for one of the best. Chansey's a defensive wall, though, so. And Chansey's Chansey also, so <laughs> yeah. I'll take the Aerodactyl and go on. Any closing thoughts on Aerodactyl before we move on? Uh, I just want to say my Jurassic Park idea, great idea for Detective Pikachu spinoff. Uh, open idea for any writer out there wanting to pitch to Legendary yeah. Pictures. I, I like it. it. Alright, well, we've talked about the Pokemon at length in their batshit insane world today. Yeah, this Let's... is the only time we've had Pokemon that aren't available in the wild. They're all trades or mm, well, they're all uh, event Pokemon, basically. Yeah. So let's talk and about they all uh, break technology. It's wild. 
Let's talk about what they would be doing in our universe. Welcome to Mons World. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. This is my world. All right, Michael Darling, why don't you start us off today? They'd just be science experiments. I mean, like, what can you do with these, really? I mean, apparently you can send Porygon into the Matrix, it seems, based on the anime, and then Pikachu will cause people to have seizures. But, yeah. Any Oregon's a fall guy, apparently. Well, like, like I was saying, Mon's World this only ends in Jurassic Park with the addition yeah. of one ditto. <laughs> I mean, it, it's cool that we can apparently clone Pokemon from the barest scant of DNA, but, I mean, yeah, that's what they would be, is they would be, like, interesting zoo exhibits more than anything else. I mean, I'm famous on this podcast for bringing up C and D movies from the 70s and 80s, thanks to my upbringing on network TV, so Porygon would, the existence of Porygon in this world would flat out make weird science more of a documentary than a schlocky no, teen no. comedy. I was thinking the lawnmower man also. Mm. Ooh, yeah. But I mean, if you're able to bring coding, I mean, I already mentioned Rule 34. <laughs> wow. Um, there's just, it's just a terrifying capability to be able to bring anything virtual to life. And then also that I believe in the Porygon episode, I've seen screen grabs from that episode where Ash is riding Porygon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they go into the computer. They go yeah. into the Matrix. They go into the Matrix. So that's Ash is Neo. Before the Matrix. Because uh, it would have been 97, 98. Yeah. So did the Wachowskis rip off Electric Soldier Porygon? Ah, oh, man. That is a good question. <laughs> yeah. So there's so Porygon in our universe just brings up all kinds of other terrifying possibilities just in terms of like, you know, look how much of the internet is porn and think about Porygon. If Why you could else bring you think the net was born, porn, porn, porn. Yes, good point. So let's move on from a very depressing Mon's world into how we would change the Pokemon to improve them. This is Mon Mons. I'm going to start off this time. I'm just going to say get rid of Porygon. I already mentioned Digimon in the first section, so I just think let's trade it to the Digimon franchise for one of their Swat Wolf or Swat Dinosaur Pokemon. And I think Swat Wolf honestly makes more sense in Pokemon than Porygon does. Swat Wolf's wearing actual Swat gear, though. Yeah, but we already have a tortoise with fucking tank guns on its shell. Yeah, but so... it's not cosplaying as a cop. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just imagining Matt having a fucking Porygon instead of his cool wolf. If Abby and still being like the badass, like, stone-faced guy. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, Ty. I'm still cooler than you. And look at my blocky dinosaur. <laughs> I still think it fits more into the lore that you have, like, a wolf that developed, like, SWAT gear. You already have, like, Arcanine. You already have, like, other Pokemon that are wearing human clothing, like karate geese and stuff like that. Why does SWAT Wolf suddenly strike you as so out of place? More so than literal internet code Pokemon. HTMLamon. Why does HTMLamon fit less? Uh. Um, right. Sir so Duckers' deck can beat up Swat Wolf any day. Mm. And I totally agree with that, yeah. but I still think Swat Wolf fits better into the broader lore. <laughs> so, uh, Darling, what would you change? Uh, so, this is something that partially came to me during the episode itself. Uh, so, I think Kabuto should stay as is, and you should make Kabutop's claws more claw-like like, uh, claw -like and less scythe-like. But, I think there should be a middle form. Like, mm. there needs to be something in between to make this evolution make any sense. I agree. And maybe Amistar can get a third evolution as well and make itself, like, Cthulhu. 
Pretty much. Yeah, I could see that being like much more of a terror of the deep type of thing. Mm. So, Kevin, what would you change? Is that would you go the Amstar Evolution, or you have something else in mind? Uh, I definitely want to focus on Kabuto as well. I think Amstar is pretty great as is, but I mean Kabuto, like you said, it's another rock water, and it doesn't look rock water. I mean, I guess it's a horseshoe crab, but I, I don't know. The I think, rock has to stay just because that's what they established as yeah, how it is for all fossils. For all on. fossils, but then bug, I think, is a great alternative. Yeah. And it just differentiates it from Kabuto. I think every other fossil like has different typing, if I remember correctly. Like the next fossils in Gen three are like bug and grass with the rock, huh. mm-hmm. and in Gen five it's like rock. Like, one of them is like a flying like archaeox, and yeah, then well, uh, one of them is a turtle that's rock water. So then you come back to the concept again. Yeah, I think it's interesting. But enough that gens all, later. I think it's interesting that all the resurrected fossils have the rock typing attached to them, and I wonder if that's less the fact that Amistar and like Ammonite when they originally existed were rock water, but more so that the fact that they have come from a resurrected fossil, they mm. have the rock typing on them. Yeah. And so that kind of brings up like a Stephen King pet cemetery type of thing where it's like, yeah. you can bring them back, but they're not going to be the same. <laughs> the daughter is part rock. Oh, yeah. oh no. <laughs> and that brings back my little theory about my comic where the guy goes and digs up his father's yep. remains. Mm. He, that father's coming back half rock type. <laughs> oh no that is a great horror. another great spinoff for Detective Pikachu uh, and they eventually get into horror that's called yeah. a callback ladies and gentlemen Ugh. but rather than a callback let's close out with my favorite section Michael Darling Mon Appetit if you'd like my personal crack medicine alright I'm going to be super quick about this. I want to eat Porygon. I don't care how it's prepared. I want to taste the internet. Are you sure you want to taste the internet? Have you looked at the internet? Oh, baby, don't kink shame me. <laughs> Darling, how would you eat it? How would you want to eat whatever you would eat? Almost our calamari because I want to eat God. Hmm. All right. Uh, I'm going to be much less ambitious than you guys. I have to stay true to my Maryland roots. I don't want to eat the internet. I don't want to eat God. I just want to slather a Kabuto in Old Bay, crack it open, (laughs) and just feast on that. I mean, what can I say? I got to have a little bit of home left in me. (laughs) I want to point something out. I had forgotten you were from Maryland until I read your note on smothering it in Old Bay. I'm like, only somebody from Maryland knows that. (laughs) (laughs) But that brings us home. So, Kev, thank you for coming by once again. Uh, Kev, you're going to be back a couple times uh, in the somewhat near future. We've got some bonus episodes planned. We'll give you some more news on that. Um, When we know it. Yep. So we'll announce them soon. Uh, You can follow us for those updates on the Monmen Twitter account at MonmenPod or join the Facebook group. Um, Kev, where can people find you and what you've got coming out? My Twitter is at KevKozer, K-E-V-K-O-E-S-E-R. Uh, the only thing I have out right now is another podcast called Talking Who to You, which is about Doctor Who radio plays, <laughs> not the accessible kind of Doctor Who. Uh, but yeah, uh, Doctor Who audio plays, uh, you can stream some of them on Spotify, but mostly you have to buy downloads to them from bigfinish.com. But yeah, there is they've existed for two decades now, and they have included almost every actor who's been on the show ever except like Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi, the most recent ones, but David Tennant uh, back to Tom Baker. It's a really weird world, and if you're interested in that at all, I have a podcast for you. The Sixth Doctor is tolerable in the audio plays, I'm told. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Colin Baker gave a horrible performance on TV, a great performance on audio mm-hmm. because he was a better actor then. So did most of the companions. <laughs> Given better material, too, I have to mention. They were probably good actors back in the 80s. Just the 80s writing director who was kind of bad from like 80 to 86. This episode's long enough already. Please hit me up on Twitter personally <laughs> for more Doctor Who opinions. All right. Mr. Darling, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FutureHasBen. All right, and you can find me individually at Y underscore Baloo. That's Y-W-H-Y underscore Baloo, B-A-L-L-O on Twitter. Um, I've got some great stuff coming out on my website, some new artist interviews and things like that, and a preview for the podcast itself that we do know is coming. We've got two more episodes of Gen 1 Pokemon coming up, as we've mentioned in the scoreboard for Mon Mom, but we also have a special Gen 1 wrap-up episode. We're planning a co-host award ceremony between Mr. Darling and I, so please join us for that special episode before we launch into Gen 2. But in the meantime... It was just around the corner. I can't believe it. Yeah, can't believe we made it. But Kev, thank you for being here. I'm very happy to be here. Very happy to come back. We'll have you back soon. But for now, I am Yanata Blue. You're Michael Darling? And I'm Kev Kozer. Thanks for being here. 